Father Jonathan, happy Christmas. Deacon David, happy Christmas. How are you? Really good, really good. Uh, I've turned in my final papers and I'm finally on Christmas break. What? Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing pretty good and uh, just pretty stoked about Christmas. Yeah, that's cool. What do you guys do in Spain for Christmas? Um, well, as we record this, it's Christmas Eve, so tonight we're going to be having the big Christmas bash for the community because Christmas here is mostly celebrated on Christmas Eve, and uh-huh. we have a big dinner followed by community bingo, followed by <laughs> <laughs> followed by uh, mass, and then a little conviviality afterwards. Uh huh. Yeah, That'd be fun. yeah. And then Christmas Day, a lot of guys go to um, to their parishes for for masses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you guys? What's your tradition? Well, we've got a five o'clock children's mass. Excellent. And then midnight mass. Excellent. At midnight. Excellent. Which is late. It is and late, but it's appropriate. At ten o'clock. It is appropriate. And then a ten o'clock mass tomorrow morning. Nice. So, Very good. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think. I mean, they tell they tell me that the five o'clock, the one that I have, is utter chaos. The kids' mass? Um, yeah. Oh, you're going to love it, though. I'm sure you're going to love it. Which, you know what? I've been telling people this, and it's true, because it's true. I love chaotic liturgy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I get, as much as of an introvert as I am, I get so much energy out of the pure chaos of altar service. This happened on Sunday. Uh, altar servers that really don't know what they're doing. I think mm. it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, so not to venture into the land, like the minefield of liturgy stuff, but I guess you mean like <laughs> chaos, not like in a human way. Like it's just there's yeah. a lot of human oh, yeah. activity and there's a lot going on, you know? Yeah, um, I think it's great. It, yeah, I mean, it, re- it requires the celebrant especially to know what to do and what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? That's not really that hard. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's great. So this Christmas, you're celebrating the 5 o'clock, the Midnight Mass, and the 10 o'clock? Uh, no, I will be celebrating the 5 o'clock and then can celebrating at the other two. Very good. Very good. Well, I hope you have a good Christmas. And uh, yeah, are you going to get anything from your community? Do you guys do gifts? We did that already. Oh, We had okay. a gift exchange a couple so of weeks ago. You did an Advent gift exchange. That's right. We'll do an Epiphany gift exchange. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, it'll be nice. That's the custom here too. Is that the kings, the three kings, bring yeah. you, bring yeah, you gifts? Yeah, I like that. Um, well, good. So this past Sunday we finished off Advent, and you're celebrating a lot of Christmas masses this week and preaching a lot, I imagine. Um, yeah. But then this upcoming Sunday we have the feast of the Holy Family. The Holy Family. Yeah. What do you got? What do you think? <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting actually because my my homilies. So I'm going to confession time. I'm going to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. I was not aware. I mean, I know the Holy Family is a big feast, <laughs> but I, it just slipped my mind that it was the week after Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> but that being said, all all of my homilies leading up these past couple of weeks have really been on family. Really? Like I preached a lot on Mary when it was about the Annunciation, like what it mm-hmm. meant for her to be mother. Mm-hmm. Last mm-hmm. week, or yes, uh, two days ago, um, this past Sunday, I preached on Joseph. Nice. And how it, his fatherhood was so crucial to, well, to Jesus. I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. that there's, 
I do sometimes hesitate to talk about Joseph Joseph's fatherhood being influential on Jesus because I don't want to like sound heretical. Hmm. Uh, because Jesus is God and God is Jesus's father. But you know yeah. what? Like, yeah. I think, and this could be the topic of this week's homily that, and I think we did mention it last episode that God gave him a family for a reason. Yeah, that's right. That's like, right. Not just to have this man as a figurehead mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he needed it for the culture. Like, no, this righteous man taught Jesus righteousness. Yes, yes, that's key. So I think there's there's two things I would and say. And that was kind that. of my homily last. I like it. No, I like it because so I think any scruples that you might have about speaking about Joseph as having influence on Jesus, I think can be quickly dispelled by just saying anything that you could attribute to the Blessed Mother in terms of her influence on Jesus, you should also sure. be able to attribute to Joseph. Um, not that they're the same because she was conceived without original sin, but like the sense that she she raised him, and we are very happy to say that she raised him as a mother would. So, well, Joseph did that too, you know, but as a father yeah. would. Um, yeah. There's that, but then also I think there's something important about like uh, the line in what is it Luke's Gospel that I really love that I always go back to when people get into things about like, was well, Jesus is divinity and like him being raised by these human parents. It's like, well, Luke even tells us like after the finding in the temple, like he returned to Nazareth and grew in wisdom and stature, mm, you know? And, yeah. like, and he subjected himself to them and grew in wisdom and stature. Like that, Yeah. that's key yeah, to, that's to, key. Un- to understand that Jesus is God, but he's also not, but he's also, but he is also man, right? So, yeah. Um, and that's the mystery of who Jesus is, which is great. And that I think you're right to point out that God didn't, it's not just an accident or just a, a mere necessity that God chooses a family. There's something there, you know, that he it says a lot about Joseph, you know, that he trusted Joseph to raise him. Right. Right. And I had this other, um, so as I was praying, especially when, you know, the angel recognizing that the angel tells that Gabriel tells both Joseph and Mary do not be afraid how frightening of a situation this must have been. Yeah. And how much strength that he needed to to do this quite radical thing. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. immediately went to Jesus in the garden mm. when he said, Lord, take this cup away from me. Not mm. my will, but your will be done. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't help but think that's a Joseph moment. Mm. Like, he learned in the face of terror <laughs> to say, Lord, your will be done. That's great. That's really good. You know, one thing I thought about, too, with Joseph this past week, at least, and, it, and it all, all this, like you're saying, kind of builds up to this week's Feast of the Holy Family, just because you're right. We had Mary, and then we had Joseph, and this weekend, this week with Christmas, we have Jesus, you know? So, like, um, yep. it's all sort of building up to each other. I think one of the things that I thought about with Joseph is that his experience of the angel telling him to take Mary, that experience wasn't witnessed by anybody. Right. And like, what kind of integrity it must have had? He he must have had to be able to follow through, even though no witnesses were there to attest to yeah. this having happened. You know, mm-hmm. you know, this is a man of complete integrity, and Jesus learned that from him. You know, right? Exactly. Yeah. So tying all this yeah. together, how would you how would you approach this upcoming Sunday's feast? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think the way that I would, you know, and, uh, the readings deal a lot with, you know honor and what how the father and the mother what are their roles and relationships etc etc and especially in the gospel looking at how it was up to joseph and the and mary to protect 
um, Jesus mm-hmm. um, to take him to Egypt and then to bring him back to the land of Israel. That's all good and explicit in the readings, so I probably will mention them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm leading, and I'd be interesting. To, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Like, it seems like this, especially this feast of the Holy Family needs to be kind of a, a capstone, a let's synthesize all of these other th- singular events that have been happening and how do we engage in who we are right now yeah. having gone through all of this. Yeah, I like that. So like in a homily, you could say, okay, we've looked at Mary as an individual receiving the message from the angel. We've looked at Joseph as an individual receiving the message from the angel. We know Christ being born on Christmas Day. We have experienced that, him coming into our lives. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So how could we take all three of those and say, who are they as a unit? You know, that that there's something really powerful in thinking that, and maybe this is part of the point of the readings today is that for, for Sunday, is that God intends for each of them to have a unique relationship with him you know, and, but bringing them together, there's something new here and beautiful. So like I was struck in Sirach that it's God sets a father in honor over his children mm. and a mother's authority God confirms right. over her sons. So right. God is the agent that brings about this unity, you know, so God in some sort of some sort of providential way has ordained that this man and this woman be together in, for some good, for some good. And we see that with Mary first, and then we see that with Joseph, and then with the fruit of that with Jesus. So how is it that each individual then culminates in the unity of God ordaining something new and beautiful? Um, Like God is primary in the reading at Syriac, at least, right? That God sets this in motion. Um, And I'd want to highlight that, that God is the one who intervenes here. It's not just some, you know, biological reality, right? Like it's not just... absolutely. The family is a divine institution now. You know, um, so I've been, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you. I've been giving a lot of people recently, I've been on kind of this kick of telling people, you know how when you hear that God won't give you more than you can handle? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't believe that at all. That God I think will give that, you more than you can handle? Absolutely. And I think this feast is proof of it because it's not just Mary. It's not just Joseph. Mm-hmm. In some sense, it's not just Jesus. Well, yeah. It's the Holy Family. So God will give you things that you cannot handle on your own because... Exactly. Yeah, because... Because we, we are made to, to be in the image and likeness of God who is perfect relationships. Right, right, Perfect right. relationship. Mm-hmm. So God puts us in situations or we end up in situations that, you know, express that fundamental reality of being human, which is that we are dependent on each, on each other. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's really great. And I think I think that the Holy Family is a good image of that, that not only is it just like a societal, biological, evolutionary need for us to have people in our lives, but it's also a spiritual, religious, transcendent reality. experience, reality that without each other, somehow our relationship with God is set, is set wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I like that. I like that. Um, I, I will say one of the things that I I was thinking about with these this, these readings for this week is that you could you could focus on how like the family within the economy of salvation, like the role of family, you know, and like you're saying with 
us having God as the head, bringing each of these pieces together to come to some experience of God um, because we need each other to have that experience, like Jesus mm-hmm. needed Joseph and everything. But I think the other angle that you could approach is by focusing on the reading from Colossians, um, which does speak a little bit about how the pieces fit together, but I think also speaks of the quality of life that needs to take place there. So rather than just speaking of the role of family within the divine relationship, what are the pieces there together supposed to feel like? So put on put on uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, mm-hmm. forgive each other, um, you know, as the Lord has forgiven you, you know, put on love above all, which is the bond of perfection. So anyway, I just think that the second reading can also give us a taste of, okay, we know what the family should be in its like, you know, grand state in the narrative and the grand narrative. But what is the quality of that experience? So the experience is one that should be seeking to live out heartfelt compassion with each other, putting on the bond of peace and perfection and loving each yeah. other, you know? Well, and as well, I, I think, especially this reading from Colossians, like shows exactly how, um, how what I was just saying kind of gets turned on its head when people do think that it's all up to them and just individualistic. Think about what happens when people read the first line of that second second part of the reading. Mm-hmm. Wives, be subordinate to your husbands. Mm. Well, all that other stuff that we just read immediately goes out the window. Yeah, yeah. And now we're talking about oppression and inequality. Right. It's right. like, wait a second. What's happening here? Mm. <laughs> We've forgotten that it's not just about me. Mm. Immediately within one reading. Right, right. So like that first paragraph in Colossians speaks about these like, these qualities, you know, of our experience with each other, these virtues, maybe these fruits yeah. of the spirit. And over all these put on love. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, then Paul switches to talking about the relationship of the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband and the children to the parents, yeah. um, establishing those relationships. But then you're right. I think a lot of our sensibilities can then be triggered and we forget about all these virtues, <laughs> yeah. you know, that the, the very framework that we've supposedly built Mm-hmm. to make all of those other things make sense. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I mean, we have to name the elephant in the room, though, right, which is that that phrase, even the even the structure of today's option allows for us to not read that section. Exactly, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of scandalized by that, to be quite honest. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I want to save the proposition and assume that that option was removed for good reason, but I think it might be removed because it falls flat on a lot of people's ears, and it... For a lot of people, that phrase, wives be subordinate to your husbands, as is proper in the Lord, can sound misogynistic, right? It can sound, yeah. um, I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic to like saving the proposition of Paul as much as possible. Like how, how and like, I think what you're trying to say here is how do we read wives be subordinate to your husbands as is proper in the Lord in light of put on yeah. love above all things? Right. You know, which is the bond of perfection. So in what way can this weird word subordination be interpreted as love? You know, and husbands mm-hmm. love your wives. How can that be love? You know? Um anyway, yeah, I don't know. That's it's tough. I one thing I appreciate about you, Jonathan, in terms of your preaching, like you you have a way of like not shying away from these difficult <laughs> phrases. And I appreciate that. And I I'd be curious how you would develop a homily around that, you know? Yeah, I mean 
to be quite honest, that's well, I guess I guess one of the reasons why I do that is because <laughs> in a lot of ways that's the most interesting thing for me. Like why is this so hard to look at, to read, yeah. to struggle with? And like just running from it doesn't seem like it would help anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think it's on us to I mean, as preachers, we should have a good grasp of maybe what is Paul saying? How do we how do we get at it? Is it possible that Paul is being misogynistic here? Is it possible that he's wrong, that women should not be subordinate to their husbands? Um, I mean, at least entertaining that for a little bit in our preparation, I think, I don't know. It's a challenge to me to prepare well for this Sunday. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I'm going to preach on that, I probably shouldn't just drop my microphone, you know, after <laughs> after I say that, you know. Yeah, but it also depends on if they're going to use that option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, do you bring that up if they don't? Yeah, I would insist on bringing up the option. I mean, I, I would insist on always preaching the option. I'm not a fan of cutting the option just because, look, it's twelve verse 12 through 21. It's not interrupted, right? It's one continuous yeah. stream. Um, you know, but thinking in terms of like what we were starting with, with I think going back to Sirach is, is key for me. God sets a father in honor over his children. God is the one that confirms a wife over her sons. Yeah. It's God's doing. There's God right. God ordaining a relationship between husbands, wives, and their children in such a way that, well, think about how maybe wives be subordinate to your husbands is played out in the gospel. Mm-hmm. How is that played out with this? Is that the vision of the Lord came to Joseph, not to Mary, right? That. Mm that there's something about God wanting Joseph to lead them down to Egypt. And, you know, Mary just gave birth to this child, so she needed Joseph right. there too for strength. So maybe there's something you could do there with playing with this this, this gospel mm, passage yeah, like of Joseph, Joseph leading the Holy Family, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I like that. Um, well, and also I think it's important, you know, especially talking about the Holy Family, we have to talk about that being the model for our families. Yeah. And if you're going to pretend like, struggle and confusion and fights don't happen in families, then you're fooling yourself. I mean, Mm. that's just stupid to Mm -hmm. think that we can gloss over the things that give us pause or Mm -hmm. that we struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like that's part of what it means to be a family. Right. Right. For sure. Um, You know, really quick, just one, maybe one last thought from me, just that, uh, we haven't said yet that I think is interesting is that this reading from Matthew has the flight into Egypt, but not the um, the holy innocents, the slaughtering of the mm. holy innocents. Um, because I guess we celebrate that on this week at some point, right after Stephen yeah. and John or whatever, you know. Yeah, um, it's the twenty eighth. Yeah, so we would have right? already we would have already read the holy innocents, and now we're reading the flight into Egypt, and. One thing I like about that, maybe it's just an angle that we haven't talked about, is what does all of this say about who Jesus is? You yeah. know, who is this Jesus that we're talking about in the gospel today that was just born to us? Like, what can yeah. we say about Christ? I mean, I can't help but think, um, so I preached on the Holy Innocence last year at our formation event, and I said, look, you know, we celebrate St. Stephen and then the Holy Innocence literally the day after Mm-hmm. the birth of the Lord. Yeah. And I can't help but think that that is showing that this is something worth dying for. Yeah, there it is. Boom. For sure. For sure. It's worth living for and it's worth dying for. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I agree with that. And, you know, the holy innocence being the first martyrs in a sense, right, for the faith. And yeah. That, you know, for being confused for Christ, 
they are slaughtered. Um, that's good. Maybe that's a point for my own reflection too in preparation. Um, maybe one last thing that I want to say too, just I, I want to emphasize that parents have a responsibility for caring for the deposit of faith mm-hmm. for, for their children. So I think that the flight into Egypt is a good example of that. It's not just that parents need to be good to their children in terms of taking care of them and their vital needs. It's also, if you think of Jesus as sort of a symbol for God's revelation, well, yeah. parents, are you caring, you know, carefully for the deposit of faith and handing it off to your children? Um, right. Like that's you well, even, being a good family. Go ahead. No, just saying yeah. to be a good family. <laughs> yeah, and to, to your earlier point about the Jesus lost in the temple, you know, people can point to that to say, oh, well, you know, it's, I don't know that they do, but I guess they could, that, you know, that's going to be its own thing. And then his family separate separate from his growth in virtue. Hmm. But no, his family was crucial in his growth of virtue, which again is that model of our growth of virtue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And if they, if parents, if you don't teach your kids the faith, they're not going to learn the faith. Just, that's right. <laughs> it's like, when are they going <laughs> to learn the faith? So, yeah. Anyway, parting thoughts from you? Um, go to Mass. <laughs> go pray. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. Pray. Love your families. Husbands, love your wives, et cetera, et cetera. And above all this, put on love. All right, man. Cool. Happy Christmas. We'll talk soon. All right. Happy Christmas. Peace.